Good evening. Uh, something about uh, that worship tonight. Uh, I got rocked. Uh, thank you, Susie, and the team for uh awesome time of praise. Uh, thank you for the prayer time as well. That was powerful. I just haven't been at Friday Fire for a while. And so I'm like, so blessed already. Uh, we're going to look at Job today. Or Job, or Job. Uh, really excited to see everyone here uh, on a Friday night. Single or couple, uh, and especially, yeah, this weekend, man, super pumped. Uh, we could be elsewhere doing a lot of things, but better is one day in the house of the Lord than thousands elsewhere. Amen. Two people, okay. <laughs> it's, it's okay, Lord. They all feel it inside. They're just not expressing it. Uh, better is one day in the house of the Lord. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tent of the wicked. All right, we're all in this together. Good, okay. Turn with me to the book of Job, uh, chapter 1. Job, chapter 1. Excuse my voice if I sound extra nasally today. Uh, <clears throat> uh, just uh, fighting this cold. Um, Job chapter 1. We're going to start from verse 6. And uh, we're going to go to verse 12. I will read it for you. Uh, it's nice to hear all those pages turning. Everyone's got their sword with them. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, I will be reading from the ESV, uh, verse 6 to 12, but throughout the, the remainder of our time, I will cover the whole chapter, but we'll be just uh, reading verse 6 to 12. Uh, let me read this for you. You can follow along. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God, and turns away from evil? Question mark. Uh, then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house, and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. 
And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Amen. That's an intense amen. Uh, I will be speaking tonight from the subject, The Unconditional Christian. Uh, I believe it is my assignment to speak to you from the subject, The Unconditional Christian. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your living word. It is truly our bread, our daily bread, and it is our sword. And we cannot live without it. Uh, Holy Spirit, we invite you now. Yes, you're here, but we invite uh, more of you. In a a stronger measure and greater degree, uh, we say we are in great need of you. We have need of you, Holy Spirit, to see Jesus And we know if we see Jesus, we will never be the same. We will be transformed more and more into his likeness. We say, God, we are on the same page with you in your objective to sanctify us. We say we are on the same page with you. Have your way in this place. Do what you see fit. We say you do all things well. So we declare in this place that your kingdom has come. Your will shall be done. In Jesus' name I pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Uh, Just a side note, falling in love with Jesus uh, is the best thing I think I've ever done. Okay, just had to put it out there. It's Valentine's Day. Uh, Just had to put it out there. Uh, I find it incredibly easy in an environment like this, to give God praise. Uh, man, tonight we didn't have like a whole, you know, kit with David O, you know, on it. We didn't have a fog machine. We didn't have crazy dimming lights. But we did have nice instruments. We did have very anointed praise leader and other praise leaders. And the atmosphere is very conducive. Wouldn't you say? Like, you're not worried that someone might walk in during praise uh, with a machine gun. Yeah, it's, it's funny to us. <laughs> Why would that happen? But, but if, uh, some of the nations that actually Lisa spoke about, and many other nations, actually just, just the border across north uh, from us, people... Uh, have to have that in the back of their minds as they go, Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, not like that, but... Um, but yeah, it's not as conducive other places. Uh, here we have... Uh, you know you're going to get a word. You come to Friday Fire, you know you're going to get a, you know, hopefully a solid word, you know. Uh, something that will feed your, your your inner man and you walk away feeling like I love Jesus more. Man, what have I been doing with my life? Um, I need to repent and love him. Love him to the end, God. Oh, it's very conducive. That's my point. Um, but let me ask you, what if you were placed in an environment that's a little bit different? Uh, 
let's say, not so conducive to like Jesus, 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 uh, be exalting Him. But let's say where you are a minority, uh, you're you're not a part of everyone who is on the same page in terms of exalting the name of Jesus. Whether it's by literally singing or by just your life as a witness. Uh, how many of you know worship is not limited to just songs? We're all cool with that. We understand that. Yeah. Uh, it's really a, life, a lifestyle, living sacrifice, where your words, the meditations, the thoughts, your actions exalt Jesus, make him look good. And, and really, your, your actions of obedience demonstrate that Jesus is truly worth it. To live, to living holy, to living uh, set apart, right? It, but in areas and environments where not everyone is down with that, it may be a little bit harder, a little bit tougher. But what if you went to somewhere that's actually hostile? An environment where uh, it's not neutrally, just like, kind of like, uh, yeah, you, wow, you're kind of weird. It's not like that. It's like, in more, it's like, don't do that. Don't do that. You do that, we will cut your head off. Okay, well, <laughs> everyone's like giving me this intense look. Uh, it's okay. Uh, or, or like, we will, we will hurt your family. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be pretty tough, right, to do the same. Bless the Lord. Yeah. Whether it's, again, by song or action or just... Not betraying God in your in terms of your loyalty and your allegiance, your absolute allegiance to Him, right? Um, but you know, if you compromise there, and depending on your condition, and your environment, and your circumstances, do you know what that makes you? Do you know what that makes me, for us, if we do that? A condition-based, a conditional Christian. Uh, it's kind of an oxymoron to start with, uh, but uh, it's it's a reality I think for a lot of people. And uh, personally, I'm 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 sharing this word and I'm sharing from the book of Job because God has been addressing this in my life. He just spoke to me and said, "Isaac, you have persecution insecurity. You have uh, suffering insecurity." You have pain insecurity. Uh, and, you know, I like to think that I'm pretty solid or confident or whatnot. By the grace of God, I've been blessed with just great parents who love the Lord, fear Him, and, you know, all these things. I grew up in the church. Uh, but, yeah, when this word came to me, I was like, wow. Yeah, I do struggle with. Uh, this thing called, uh, it's not in scripture, I, I just kind of had called it that as, you know, the Lord inspired me and spoke to me, persecution and security. It's where I'm insecure about how I will react when I'm faced uh, with such harsh, hostile opposition. That, A, B, uh, insecure that it actually might happen to me. <laughs> Even though scripture clearly says, it will come. 
And it's not someone who has no authority that says it. It's not someone who doesn't know God that says it. I mean, you can bet on this. Jesus said it. He said it will come. But it's like, oh, dear, but it's like, oh, yes, he said it, right? So I'll share more on that later. So with that context, with that in mind, I uh, want us to look at Job. Because if, if you were to ask me, Isaac, who suffered well in the Bible? Or who was the greatest sufferer? Uh, other than Jesus, other than Jesus, uh, would it be just the first person that would leap from the pages? I think for me, at least, would be Job, uh, and you'll see why. We're going to make some observations here. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. So we read today, uh, verse six. I want to give you an introduction to, yeah, the person of Job. Some observations. One, we started from verse 6, but if you go, with, go back with me to verse uh, 1. Look at verse 1. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Let's stop there. Uh, there was a man. So with, with a specific geographical location, Uz, uh, I didn't do that extensive research, but it's, it's a real place. Uh, we're talking about a real person. Job is not a figurative, fictional character. This is a real man, and this really happened. Keep that in mind, okay? This really happened. Going on, it says, And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God. And it's as if... That was not like crazy holy enough. And turned away from evil. Um, blameless, upright, fear God, and turned away from evil. That means he didn't just uh, wonder in his mind, how far can I go with sin? He turned away from evil. Like it was not, he hated evil. He was like, I don't want nothing to do with it. It wasn't just this casual Christianity of, ah, uh, I'm going to try to obey the word when it's convenient. When, when the atmosphere, you know, you know, everyone's in it. No, no, no. He's like, blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. When there are four consecutive, <laughs> descriptive things about one person, and it's like stressing the same thing. We got to get it. It's pretty like it's 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 like this resounding witness to what kind of a holy man Job was, okay? But watch this; it gets crazier. Verse two: uh, There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. Okay, very uh, very fertile, fruitful, healthy man, good health. It, that's blessing. Verse three: But he, catch this: He possessed seven thousand sheep. God, <laughs> 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 oxen, no, 500 yoke of oxen. How many oxen in one yoke? 
good man, Sam Keel. Uh, why? Because a yoke is like the shape of an M, right? When Jesus says, you're yoked with me, you're following him. <laughs> he really said that, uh, Matthew 11. Five, what, five, 500 yoke of oxen. So if you do the math, 500 times two, okay, 1,000 oxen. But you see the emphasis here. It's trying to emphasize something. And 500 female donkeys. Female donkeys. And so they went through all the livestock, animals, right? But catch this. And very many servants. Human beings. uh, That he pays to work for him. That's a, I mean, just to, just to tally up the number of the livestock, just to feed them. Just imagine how many servants you need. Just for maintenance. Janitors, you know, and what do you call the people that feed animals? Animal feeders. (laughs) Uh, People that take care, you know, of your animals. Uh, What does that mean? All that to say, very rich. Very, very prodigal, extravagant, lavish environment he lives in. Extremely rich. Stop there. I see a contradiction. Didn't Jesus say it was extremely hard for a rich man to get into heaven? Harder, harder. Let me get this right. I always say this backwards. It is hard, easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. But look at Job. This is a rare man. Someone who is filthy rich. Healthy, okay? It's not like he worked so hard, workaholic, earned all this money, and so he was like, just like, oh, dying on his bed. No, healthy, has kids. But but the, the whole description started with him being a righteous man, not compromising. You know, wealth can corrupt. Can I get, like, witness? Like, wealth can corrupt. Just look at our, all the people with all the wealth in our world. It's very hard. The temptation is intense. Uh, but here's the thing. A little more observation. Stick with me here. He says, so that this man was the, what? Greatest of all the people of the East. Of that region, he was the greatest. If the Bible says you're the greatest of a zip code, an area, man, you're kind of cool. You're, you're pretty legit, I would say. huh? It's not like you're good. It's not like you're godly. It's like holy, righteous, blameless, faultless. You fear God. You turn away from evil. You're rich, you got it, everyone knows you, loves you, you have the biggest parties in town. He has both. And to sum it up, he was the greatest. Everyone respected this man in heaven and on earth. Okay, did I drive home the point here? This is a rare man, okay? Um, So, building on that, the next observation that I want to make is, okay, then... Going to verse 6, what we read today. 
Uh, there's actually more in verse 4 and 5, but uh, let's just keep moving here it's for the sake of time. Uh, starting verse 6, what we see is really unique here. Okay, The second observation I want to make, other than Job is a rare man, second is uh, we see a very unique opportunity where the, the throne room of God is unveiled and a conversation between God, the sons of God, angels. Okay, you hear when it says, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves. Those are angels. It speaks of those who are assigned by God to go throughout the earth to do his, accomplish his orders and his assignments. And then you see Satan also in the same room. Okay, same area. You don't see that often in scripture. Yeah. Actually, you, this is the only one of the three times where you hear the voice of Satan throughout all scripture. The Garden of Eden, where Jesus gets tempted, and here. It's the only time you hear the voice of Satan. Satan said, okay, it's a nice inside look to what's happening. And what happens here, what goes, what the transaction that takes place here is a very, like, off the grid, very uh, against some of our contemporary um, watered-down theology. What I mean by that is, Job, you would think, after my description of him, he's the unlikely candidate to go through what he's about to go through. You would think, right, there are all these promises in Scripture, too, that God gives favor to the righteous, that he puts, a, he puts favor in the, around him like a shield. Psalm 512. That, it just, it's almost like if you're righteous, you'll be blessed. You know? There are promises like that. We shouldn't like, ignore that just, just so it's nice for the sermon. But wait a minute. Job was the greatest of them all, not just in the sight of man, but also in the sight of God. But they're about to have a conversation. And if you notice where God initiates. Satan doesn't even bring up the name Job. God does first. Look with me. So verse 6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? He says, You know, I'm coming from going to here, to and fro. I came from there, up and down. And then the Lord said to Satan, You think, out of the blue, but he says, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Whoa. whoa, whoa. God quotes the, the aforementioned description of Job. Almost verbatim. Those four characteristics. But doesn't that make you think, wait, God, what are you, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? You got the wrong guy. This guy's been, like, on it. He's coming out to all the Friday fires. <laughs> he's taking notes in every sermon. He's at JPM. I mean, he's, he's doing it right. He's doing his closet prayer. Get that word. That's a good word. Uh, <laughs> he is living a life of purity, free from sex, soul ties, and pornography. <laughs> Quick plug. If you didn't get that word, get that word. Single or couple, okay? Sorry, this is, I have to, I have to. On the spectrum of your fight for purity, whether you are like 
you know, you know you're called for celibacy, okay? Or you're on the other spectrum of like, you're just, it's just, you're just struggling, okay? Whether you are someone who is not in a relationship, but you have to fight visual lust because of pornography, or because you're in a relationship, but you don't want to dishonor it and disrespect your, your other, whether it's spouse or mate, or spouse, mate, same thing, or girlfriend or boyfriend, wherever you are, this message, you need to get it. If you have not heard this message, I'm not going to, don't raise your hand. Okay, just get it, okay? I just pulled a PC there. I just kind of digressed. Sorry. Coming back. Coming back. Uh, where was I? So here, yeah, back to God presents Job. But I think what, what's happening here is, you know, First, I was just curious, how did Satan even get in there? Well, I don't know what you're thinking. Yeah, Didn't you think, like, how did Satan, wait, God's holy. God's holy. Yeah? That means he has nothing to do with evil. He, he hates evil. But we see in the presence, it says, in the presence of God, sons of God, and then comes Satan. How did he get there? I don't know. <laughs> That's my answer. I don't know. Some things we just have to ask the Lord when we get to heaven. But he's there. He's there. And he, I think, is there. Uh, actually, actually, in terms of that confrontation, on a regular basis. Why? Verse 6 is this. Now there was a day. Now there was a day. It didn't say, now there was a, one of those special days, one time in a thousand years, when Satan would come in the presence of the Lord. It says, now there was a day. It could have been a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, or a Thursday. Now there was a day. A day. Not the day or D-day. A day. Read, read scripture slowly. We've got to catch this. It says, now there was a day. Satan, just in case you thought he was just chilling on his fiery couch <laughs> Satan is not in hell some of you think Satan is in hell not yet he's on the earth actively on the earth him and his minions and he goes up to the Lord and confront you know what he really is here for I mean I think it's not described like Satan came to do this because it says there was a day and it says Satan came and before he even says anything, the Lord who is omniscient, who knows all things, he says, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, Lucifer, Lucy, hey. Uh, have you considered my servant Job? I don't know. I don't know how, in what tone God actually talks to Satan, but he says, have you, have you considered my servant Job? And I think that we can, from that we can infer Satan comes with an agenda. Or else why would God kind of answer his question that, or a, throw a question as an answer to Satan's agenda in that, in that specific moment? Before Satan says anything, God says, have you considered my servant Job? What does that mean? Satan, you'll later find out, gets permission from God. Like, Satan gets permission from God. Well, you're like, wait, Why? Aren't they like enemies? 
they are. But we find out here, Satan gets permission from God to, to be employed. Now, from God's perspective, to be employed, but Satan thinks to attack God's people. To harm God's people. And we see his motivation in what he says. Why? Look, at, look with me to verse, verse 9. After God says, have you considered Job? He's, he's great. He's blameless. You know, he's upright. It just shows God's confidence in Job. But you see, it says, then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? That's, you see how evil that is? Do you see how sly and sinister that is? Like he goes to God. I mean, Satan would, I guess, because he's the one that left heaven. You know, I mean, he's the one that tried to be God and he was so persuasive, actually, that he got a third of the angels to fall with him. By the way, those angels were in the presence of God. Kind of crazy. I don't know what he did to, like, grab the one third, but he got him. He got him. He's sly. He says, do you think Job worships you for no reason? He just said Job is a conditional Christian. Right there. Got to read through this. He just went up to God and said, oh, yeah you're, yeah, you're proud of Job, aren't you? But you know what? I don't think so. I think he's doing all this because you blessed him. He's a conditional disciple of yours. Satan is doing what here? Accusing. Revelation, in the book of Revelation, we see that Satan is defined in many ways, but he's defined as the accuser of the brethren, of the brothers and sisters in the family of God. So he, Satan, that, that's his day job. Goes before the Lord and gets permission to harm the people of God. And God does, but God doesn't just give permission just recklessly without thought. He knows what he's doing. And he says, have you considered Job? Satan replies. And what does the Lord say? He says, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you. Oh, this is Satan talking, sorry. Satan says, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Just tweak a little of his conditions. Let's see if I'm right, Satan talking, or if you're right. And who, who's the object of this test? Job. People of God. This is, this is shh, curtain of heaven unveiled. Right? We see into this. It's crazy. And then what? God says, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Uh, that's... Really, God? You know, that, that was my thought when I read it. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. He went out from the presence of the Lord, okay? To do his thing. Okay, so part of that second observation, God uh, has boundaries. He does make uh, 
boundaries when it comes to his allowance for the suffering of the saints. Uh, he, he did say, yeah, you can touch all that he has, the conditions, the environment, the circumstances, don't touch him. When God says don't touch him, the devil knows, yeah, he shouldn't. Now, let's, let's further just take one more observation, okay? And then I'll go through our points of application, and we'll be good. Um, if you move on with me now, from verse 13, and if you just kind of give a, even just a cursory look from verse 13, uh, man, to verse 19. Let's stop there. 13 to 19, just, I'm going to give you like 30 seconds, just like, shh browse through and see what happens. You'll see something repetitive. You'll see something quite tragic. You'll see something like just will make your heart just like hurt. Uh, Just the words on the pages, it's just really agonizing. Why? What happens? So Satan gets the permission from God. He goes and he is, he is, he's not going soft. Because Satan knows too that Job is pretty righteous but Satan thought, if I do this much, even the greatest of them all will fall. And this is what he does. Um, look with me to uh, verse 14. And there came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen, you know, the 500 yoke of oxen that we talked about earlier, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabians fell upon them and took them, struck, them, struck down the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. Okay. Didn't shake him a bit. Job's cool. Why? Because they're just oxen. Moving on. Uh, While he was yet speaking, so this guy that just escaped, he's talking. He's not done. There came another and said, the fire of God. I know, it it threw me off too. Uh, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed it. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Okay, he's not done. He's he's not done. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Can I just get volunteers uh sam kill can you come up we'll make this quick just to give you a visual of what's happening here can you stand here brother good looking man of god yeah would you say Ooh, you didn't get a response <laughs> good looking man of god amen okay uh, uh <laughs> sorry bro. look at me look, and just look like like pant like okay just keep keep going keep going same thing. Uh, let me get uh, Eunice Co. Hurry, 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 hurry. I know. I just don't want to. I just, you know, all the podcast people, what's happening right now? We have all these people on stage and they're just panting and they're surrounding me. So there's three that I already said. And then quiet down the panting. Shh. Now, listen here. This is serious now. This is serious now. Like, okay, take my oxen. You know, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, you take my car. You take my, you know, whatever. You take my toys. You take my... But look at this. 
Verse 18. While he was yet speaking and panting, and uh, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking. At this point, he's thinking, Are you serious right now? Right? Because he, he, he saw the pattern. I'm the only one that escaped. I'm the only one that escaped. I'm the only one that escaped. Just the mention of my kids? No, don't tell me. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't tell me what I think you're going to tell me. He had 10 of them too. They were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind. Really now? A great wind. That's some pretty great, like, uh, yeah, catastrophe. Great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people. Their bodies were crushed in the debris. And they are dead. Uh, Chris, Pastor Chris. You're giving me the worst news. Uh, can you cry? On cue? Just kidding. Okay, just look up here for a moment. Uh, you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. Don't, don't do too much. Don't over. Uh... Job is, Job is standing here, and four of his servants come. Okay, Get this, all the other servants are dead. Not only that, his children are dead. And they're looking at Job, probably like, man, what? We thought you were a righteous man. I don't know what were going in their minds, what going through, but I don't, can you imagine what Job was thinking? Like, like did I miss a memo, God? Oh, thank you. <laughs> you can go back. <laughs> can we give it up for the volunteers? Uh, so we see a righteous man, a rare man, who becomes an object of a challenge that Satan brings to God. And now he executes that challenge and all his possessions and his family, okay, his children, at least, no, his wife is there. You see later in the book of Job, his wife is there. Uh, most of his family, gone like that. Literally, like all at once. And this is what Satan is thinking. I think, I think we're good. Oof. This guy is jacked up. He, 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 he's almost like sure. Satan's almost sure at this point what this man is going to utter. The f- like, and, and, and I think, you know, the angels who were present with God during that like, whole dialogue and God himself and Satan right now is zooming in on Job. Right? Like, uh, you shouldn't gamble, but have you ever made bets before? Like for like a, like a sporting event or a game, like a horse race? You know, you know when your money, like your money's on it, uh, or e- even your bragging rights. You know, you want to be, you want to say, I, I won. You know, I bet correctly. 
What do you zoom in on? The outcome that's about to take place. Right? When that last shot is being taken by Kobe Bryant, championship game, tied score, you bet for the Miami Heat, you're hoping he would miss. You bet for the the Lakers. Uh, you were hoping he would mit, uh, he would make it. So you just, everyone's zooming in. It's like it's almost I would say almost like that. We're zooming in on Job now. Satan's done. Okay, he's done a pretty rough job now. See see what happens in verse twenty eight. I'm sorry, twenty. That's what I meant. Verse twenty. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. Uh, tearing a robe, shaving your head was a sign of grieving. Okay? It wasn't like, ah, tantrum. <laughs> give you some cultural like, context. That was like heavy grieving. Okay? And fell on the ground. All right, uh, hold on, hold on. Let's just stop there. I know you, you know where I'm going, but. Uh, so he is, he hears the news, it says he arose, meaning he was first down, okay? When the four of them were up here, he was probably like, what? And then when the news of the children came, he probably got down. I think your knees get weak when you hear such tragic news. And then it says he got up, he tore his robes, he shaved his head, he went through a time of grieving, fell on the ground. And you're thinking, wait, why is he down again? Satan's thinking, he's just crushed by the weight of what just happened. He cannot handle it. He's so, Satan is like, he's like, so close to just pointing at God, pointing at God and saying, see? See? You are not loved unconditionally by your people. You're loved you're a God who's loved because uh, you give them prosperity. Uh, you have children who love you conditionally. He's the accuser. But wait, it says what? Man, this is good. This is, this is tremendous. It says he fell on the ground. And can we say this? Just together. In one, two, three, we say the next two words, okay? One, two, three. And really now? That was my first thought. I was like, really? I mean, you can't be that holy. <laughs> Come on, are you serious? I know you shaved your head. I know you tore your robes. But the first thing that you do after grieving is worship? At this point, Satan's like, wait, replay. What? Satan thought this was just, just intense enough to get this guy to what? Compromise. To betray his loyalty, his allegiance to God. But you see what Job did here? He worshiped. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Uh, the song that we sang today actually is inspired by the book of Job. 
the same guy, Matt Remnant, who wrote Blessed Be the Name of the Lord, same book. But that worship right there, do you see how, do you see what was at stake there in one man's worship? In one man's unconditional devotion to God, do you see what was at stake there? It wasn't just like, oh, I don't feel like it today. I have a bad day, and so, God, I'm not going to be extravagant in worship today. You all know, understand, right? Yeah, yeah. Job was having a bad life at this point. <laughs> but he worshipped. How do you think, what emotion do you think God felt in that moment? Just sit on that for a moment. Like, what emotion do you think just welled up in God's heart? You know, God feels. He's a person, yes? We were made in the image of him. What do you think happened in that moment? You know what you call that? Glory. That's called glory. That's called unconditional worship. Nothing was conducive to praising God right there. All, literally, all hell broke loose. Literally. But he worshipped. That's a big win for God. Yay, God. Come on. Like, that's when you clap. Yay, God. Uh, Big in-your-face defeat to the devil. Do you see how powerful your unconditional devotion and worship can be? It's literally a a validation of God's worth. When you fall on your knees, everything is taken away from you, and you say, bless the Lord. What you're doing is saying, God, you're still worthy. And devil, you're still a liar. I'm not perfect. I'm weak. I do fall short of the glory of God. I'm being sanctified. But man, am I trying my best to love God unconditionally. That ought to be, I think, the honest, authentic place that we live from every day. I'm not saying, guys, be like, you know, impeccably, flawless, immaculate. Like, it's, it, we can't without the help of the Holy Spirit to, to uh, become more and more like Christ, Christ-likeness. You know, that's, that's just impossible for us without relationship with God. But because we have Him, it is a reachable goal now. You and I can be like Jesus. That's... And you see how powerful that is when we say, regardless of whatever circumstance I'm in, uh, I choose. I'm not inspired. I'm not an inspired worshiper by my environment. I'm inspired by God's worthiness to worship him. To give him what is due his name. Satan. Zero. God. One. Okay. Enough observations. Uh, Let's make some applications. How's that? How's that? Okay. Here we go. Uh, We're on time. So how is this relevant to us? Uh, Like, you may not go through the same intensity uh, of suffering anytime uh, soon. So don't worry. I'm not preaching this because to prepare you for what's about to happen tomorrow. Uh, well, you never know. Don't boast about tomorrow, the Bible says. All right? Fear God. 
yeah, live before him. He, you know, you make a lot of plans in your life, but I'm telling you, it is the purpose of the Lord that prevails. Yeah, he, he gets his way, especially with his children. Um, application. You know what Jesus said, like I kind of mentioned in the intro? He said, you will suffer. Newsflash. You will suffer. Uh, he even says, there will be a cost to following me. And it will not be a cheap cost. You know, you see, there were a lot of followers followers of Christ during the time when he walked on the earth. But not all of the followers, followers were disciples. There were crowds around Jesus. They weren't all disciples. But to those who, who desire to be a disciple, what did he say? He, said, he says it in so many different ways. If you don't hate your family. Okay, that's kind of rough there. <laughs> if you don't even hate yourself. If you're not willing to deny yourself. If you're not willing to carry an instrument of torture, the cross, and follow me. You can't. You're not fit to be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. And you know, a lot of preachers stress this. Count the cost. Because Jesus does say that. He says, in the book of Matthew, he says, whoever is constructing a building, they measure the cost. Whoever goes into war will, will calculate, uh, how many troops do I need to deploy for victory in this war? Right? You will count the cost. Count the cost. Yes, we have to count the cost. But can I submit to you today, did you ever count the cost of not following Christ? I know you think like counting the cost of following God is so heavy, such a, like, oh, like, why is Christianity so, like, not happy, butterflies, lovey-dovey all the time, and blessing, 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 blessing. Why, is it, why does it come with a cost? But can I submit to you, like, there's a cost to not following Christ that's even greater. I don't, even, I don't even, I can't even think about that cost. Like, there's no calculator needed. It's like, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus or no Jesus? I, I'm sure. Devil, I'm sure. Don't try to tempt me. I'm Jesus. I'm with Jesus. But can I add to that? Not just the cost of not following Christ, but have you considered the, not just the price of following him, but the prize that awaits you? Hebrews 12, it says, uh, Jesus endured the cross, okay? He endured suffering, despising the shame. Shame was not an issue for him. Despising means, I don't care. Shame, not despised it, right? And, And he endured the cross. He did all of that for the joy that was what? Set before him, Right? We're, 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 we're not doing this for no reason. God is not saying just suffer, suffer, suffer. The gospel of suffering. There's a purpose to the pain. You're not creatures of, uh, of, of living for maximum pleasure and minimal pain. You know that? That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible never says live for maximum pleasure and minimal pain. And that's how you ought to make your decisions. Cost-benefit analysis. Never. I mean, in a way, you are doing, like, cost-benefit analysis because you want to consider, you know, the, the seriousness of not following Christ, yes. But what I'm saying is, 
we're not living with the objective of how can we minimize pain in our lives. Like, since when did that creep into even our faith in God? Right? And all of that, can I add to that and say, what, we're, what kind of grace and love and sacrifice are we recipients of? The gospel. The gospel. If, if you don't get anything tonight, get this. Uh, Job, he suffered, right? But it wasn't punishment. Okay? Suffering is not punishment. That's a lie. Out the door. Suffering is not punishment. What did he do to deserve punishment? Job. From the description, he was good guy, righteous, down with Jesus, all the way. But if, if you ask me who suffered the most, like, physically other than Jesus, like, later you see this guy had sores on his body, that, like, no, like, gross, if I began to describe it to you vividly. It was not punishment for which he suffered. It was for the glory of God that he suffered. Can I tell you, Jesus, the suffering that he experienced, it was 100% punishment. 100% punishment. Whose punishment? Mine. Yours. That we were supposed to experience. If you don't get anything tonight, get this. The gospel is Jesus was punished so that you won't have to be. You think Jesus was uh, executed by a mishap? This was ordained by God. It says before the foundations of the earth. Almost like here, like where God just puts it out there. Like Job. God has designated that his son be crucified. That we may be saved. That we may be redeemed. And become his children. Uh... Can I go a little deep, deeper here? The cross, if you think, okay, what happened at the cross? How does the cross save you and I? Did you ever sit down and just think about that? Why does the cross, like, save me? Why does what Jesus did, being punished there, why? Because it was so painful physically? You were not saved by nails being pierced into a man's hand. You were not saved by a crown of thorns being pushed down on his head. You weren't saved by his side being pierced. Do you know why and how you and I were saved? Because he was punished. When he was in the garden, he's, he's, in, he's, he's sweating blood. He is uh, praying before the Father. He says, let this cup pass from me. If possible, let this cup pass from me. Do you know what that cup is speaking of? I remember actually Pastor Jay mentioned it once in one of his sermons. If you look through Old Testament, okay, references of cup, the cup, and even a few times in the book of Revelation, it speaks of God's wrath, his judgment, his wrath. If you thought Jesus, like if someone taught you uh, growing up in Sunday school that Jesus was like sweating blood in the garden, agonizing, and like, oh, let this cup pass from me because he was afraid of the pain, the physical pain of the cross, you are seriously mistaken. Really? How about all the 
But then how about all the martyrs that came after Jesus? You're calling Jesus a coward compared to them? Some of them sang hymns into the fire. Some of these Christians, when they were martyred, they sang songs of praise as they were thrown in like boiling oil. Are you, you mean to tell me the general, their leader, is more afraid than they are? No. Jesus was not cowering over the physical pain. It was the damnation, the, the wrath, the 100% punishment that was in that cup that he was to drink. That's why on the cross, he drank it. And he, oh, he drank it all. He didn't take a sip. He just drank it all. And he flipped the cup over, and what did he say? Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel. And he rose from the dead. It is he that says, follow me. There will be a cost. Son, daughter, it won't be easy. I can't guarantee you comfort in this life. If you don't know, 11 of the 12 disciples, they were all martyred. It was Apostle John that, which I think we just don't have a record of. It is he that says, follow me, count the cost. I will be with you to the end of the age. I will reward you. I will give you a crown of life. Endure to the end. It is those who endure to the end that will be saved. Can I tell you, I think we live in relevant times that Jesus is talking about here in terms of suffering and persecution. If you didn't know, I think we're getting close to Jesus' return. Thank you, Pastor John. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But can I be honest? Like, I'm being real with you guys. You know, I want to sound super spiritual and be like, yeah, Jesus, come. But there's a tension inside of me that's a little nervous. If I'm real with you guys, I'm, I'm like, no, oh, I don't want to say nervous. Let's say sober. I think that's a better word. There's like half of me that's like super excited. And the other half is like, Ooh, I gotta be, I gotta stay sober. I gotta stay awake. I don't want to, I don't want to fall into compromise. I don't want to back out in the face of suffering or a threat, persecution, Etc. 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 I'm going to wrap up here. How are we to live as unconditional Christians? Like, what is the mark of an unconditional Christian? Let me end with this. First, you've got to remain in the joy of the gospel. Plain and simple. Like, in light of the cross and what I just explained to you, very simple words. I mean, the depth and the mystery of the cross is, it can go on and on and on. But in the face of the cross, a lukewarm life is absurdity. There's no way you can have an encounter at the foot of the cross, go back to your old sin. There's no way you can gaze into the eyes of Jesus Christ hanging and staying on the cross. Okay, he didn't come down. He, he stayed there until he said it is finished. You can't look at that seriously and, and really like respond with an overflow of gratitude and like worship and adoration. 
Because how many of you know he's not, he's not there anymore. He's not on the cross. He's in the right hand of God. <laughs> yeah. You, 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 you mean to tell me you look at that and you can go back to your life of compromise? I, I don't know. I mean, we are fickle beings, but that's what I mean. Remain. Remain in the joy of the gospel. You can never graduate from the gospel. We have to grow into it daily. I mean, when I, I don't know about you guys. When I saw the movie The Passion of the Christ, I was a mess. I, I didn't cry. I actually didn't cry. But I was a mess inside. Just because that was one of the few moments where I saw visually, like, man, the physical pain that Jesus went through. But you could see in his eyes the separation from the Father. That's why he says, Father, why, why? Eloi, Eloi, Sabachthani, why have you forsaken me? Why? So that you and I can say, why, oh, why, God, have you accepted me? A sinner like me. Remain in the joy of the gospel. That's so powerful. That's a witness to his worth. In the face of the devil's temptation in our lives today, you're saying, no, 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 he's worthy. Uh, He satisfies my soul with his love. Uh, Remain in the joy of the gospel. Uh, I can go on, but I feel like that's the one thing that the Lord really convicted me of and I wanted to drive home tonight. Yes, you got to focus on the joy set before you, yes. Uh, yes, you got to, uh, you know, do all the, you know, the right things, spiritual disciplines, yes. But honestly, I don't think, guys, it's our effort that... Uh, in that, in, those, in that ultimate moment when there's a gun to your head, it's not your willpower, I don't think. You see, all the accounts of martyrdom in Scripture and historical records, there's something fascinating about them. God's presence is so there. But he doesn't, he doesn't destroy all those people who are victimizing these people. Like, you don't see uh, Stephen... Deacon Stephen in the book of Acts being shielded by firewall against all the stones. Stones coming in. Like, you don't know where he got hit. He just, he just, but what does it say? He looked into heaven. He saw Jesus. There will be a grace. I really believe that. I'm convinced. Jesus didn't have that grace. Jesus didn't die as a martyr, by the way. He died a curse. He didn't even have that Mars grace. But you and I, come on now, it's a different story. You and I are not being punished. When Jesus says you will suffer, he's not saying you will, you will be punished. You've been set free from all punishment, all condemnation. One person, the new Adam, has been punished once and for all. It's done. But you'll be a witness to my worth my preciousness above all things, that I am supreme to you. And when you do that, it is a witness to God, just like Job's worship was a witness to God, a proof to God that he is worthy. Two, it's a witness to the devil, 
not like evangelizing, but like witness as like, bam! And third, to the world. Your unconditional Christianity is very powerful. Not only that, it's very necessary. It's God's wisdom. Uh. Amen. Amen. Let's live as unconditional Christians. And when we do experience suffering, let's not utter a word of betrayal or uh, something that would sound like half, half-hearted, but a resounding, clear, Jesus, Jesus. Uh, yeah, that brings him much joy and glory. I'll pray. Uh, yeah, worship team can come up. I think it'd be nice to just, as, as we pray and then whatever song you guys feel that we can transition in time of praise. Uh, just, we'll just pray briefly here and then I'm going to hand it over to Pastor J.M. Some of you guys maybe felt like I felt, you know, when I first was confronted with this word, like, God, I'm insecure about persecution. You think, what if I, what if I sell out? What if they threaten to hurt my family? I mean, okay, I'll take the pain, but what if they threaten to hurt my children, my wife, my husband? And, and these are questions that, yeah, uh, it can be very recently be asked by those of us who are alive, I think, in this generation because I believe things will only get a little bit rougher from here on before it gets glorious eternally. But you know what Jesus says? Let me read to you. And close your eyes. I'm just going to read this passage from the book of Revelation, chapter 2. He's talking to the church in Smyrna. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, parentheses, but you are rich. Isn't that good? And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. This is Jesus talking to us. Do not fear about what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. My beloved, he says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Church, we have no fear of punishment. Perfect love casts out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. There is no punishment. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. But Jesus says, there will be suffering, but hey, I will be with you. You need not fear. Father, we thank you for this reminder tonight. 
Lord, let us be a people who remain in the joy of the gospel daily, God. We never want to lose the wonder of the cross. We never want to take it for granted. We never want to depart from it. We want to cling to it. We want to embrace it. We want to kiss the cross. We want to stay close to it every day of our lives. For it has saved us and it will save us on that day. And Jesus, we say thank you for being punished on our behalf. And today, you know, I'm not doing an altar call. Just put your hand over your heart. Can we just do this together? Today, Lord, we renew our commitment of loyalty to you. That we will not be conditional disciples, but we will be loving you and we will go on loving you and go on loving you and go on loving you. Come what may. And we believe that you are with us now and forever. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We do really love your ministry. Thank you, God. Give us the grace to be doers of your word. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name.